Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus asked a question that has to be pondered by men of every generation. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? When you think about that question, and you think about how it had application to his apostles who were sitting there with him, you need to realize that there are many different views about Jesus Christ and who he is and what he means in this world. This morning I want to talk to you about a panorama of perspectives. A panorama describes a wide-angle photo. Some of you may enjoy looking at panoramas. I do personally. I like to see something that has from the far left extreme all the way to the right so that I can see a full, full perspective of the event or the place. When you use that in a figurative sense and you think about a panorama of perspectives, you're talking about getting various views, various opinions of a person on a particular subject or topic. For instance, I'm just going to use politics to start with. You have people who are on the left fringe, people who believe a number of different things, then you have people who are fall somewhere in the middle, and then you have those who are on the far right, and it just depends on what perspective a person has as to what they believe on that. You can have it in other topics like race, morals, religion, and I could go on and on. But I will point out to you that when it comes to certain things, there is but one truth. For instance, on the topic of abortion, either that little baby that is being removed from the mother's womb is a human being, is a child, and to take that life is murder, or it's not. There's no in-between. Either you are taking human life, and there's a truth on that. Now, there's a lot of perspectives, but there is but one truth on it. And then when you come to this question that Jesus asked in Matthew 16 and verse 13, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? There's just one truth on that. Peter, in preaching on the day of Pentecost, said in Acts chapter 2 and verse 36, Therefore let all of the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So you already know the answer. But what we want to do this morning is we want to take our Bibles and we want to go to John chapter 7. And this is a good place where you can just open your Bible, keep it open there. And we're going to go through this chapter and we're going to get a panorama, if you will, a, a full perspective of the views of Christ. Verses 1 through 10, we're going to get the perspective of his brothers, physical brothers. Then we're going to get the perspective of the multitude in verses 11 through 13. Yes, there's a crowd that is there. 
As you go a little bit further to verses 14 through 26, we're not going to read all these verses, but we're going to get the perspective of those who listened to him. And then finally, in verses 37 through 53, will be the views that were expressed on the last great day of the feast. Let's begin, first of all, with the views of his brethren. Let's pick up with verse 2. We'll read through verse 10. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be made known or to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Then Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify because its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not yet going up to the feast, for my time has not fully come. When he had said these things, he said to them, or these things to them, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. Now, I I would love to explore all the details. There's just so much within that, but... For the purpose of this lesson, let me just make a few quick observations about this initial view of Jesus. First of all, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. There were three major feasts that every Jewish man was expected to attend. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16 puts it very plainly. He says, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord. And he talks about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. I think it's significant, the last phrase, and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. When you come to these feasts, you bring something with you. You bring something to honor God. So it's the time for the Feast of Tabernacles. It's at hand. Everybody's going up. The second thing that you notice is that the brothers taunt Jesus. Now, those of you who have brothers or sisters, I know that you know what taunting is. You know that as a family, there's no one that will bully you more, belittle you more than a brother or sister. You will find yourself in the company of people who will tell you who you are and exactly what you are, at least in their mind. We know that our Lord had physical brothers. In fact, in Matthew 13, verse 55, the question, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother Mary, called Mary, and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? You see, our Lord had four younger brothers. And here they are taunting him, they are mocking him. They're saying, why don't you go on up? Why don't you show yourself because you're doing all these great deeds? But John tells us 
they did not believe in him. I think it's worth a little bit of time to explore what did they think of him. You know, the Bible does give us some kind of hint at this point because when we go to Mark chapter 3, I want you to look at verse 21 and then we'll see in verses 31 and 32. He says, but when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold on him for they said, he is out of his mind. Now, I want you to put this in your family, your brother, your sister. I want you to imagine someone in your family who is telling people that you are healing sick, that you're telling people that you are the son of God or the daughter of God, so to speak. What would your family think? Inside the family, I doubt very seriously you would have difficulty at some point making fun of them but in reality they believe Jesus is out of his mind you drop down to verses 31 and 32 then his brother and his mothers came standing outside and they sent him calling him and the multitude sitting around him and they said to him look your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you what do they want they're afraid, I don't, wouldn't say Mary does, but I know the brothers evidently here believe that Jesus is out of his mind. He needs to be brought home. Later, however, they begin to understand. You get to Acts chapter 1. After Jesus has been crucified, resurrected, and ascended back into heaven, we read, they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And so whether it's James or Jude, they are now full believers that Jesus is the Son of God. I want to point out to you, there's some people like that. There are some people in our families who initially look at us and think they're crazy, they're out of their mind, they're dedicated to a cause. But then after a period of time, they begin to open their eyes. That's what I observe a lot of times with young people. They've seen their mothers and their fathers grow up, and they've seen them go to church every Sunday. Now they're out on their own. They are able to make their own decisions, go where they want to go, do what they want to do. But now a few years have passed and they've seen some things and learned some things. And now they say, you know, I need to be dedicated to the Lord myself. I need to be a part of his church. That's the first perspective. Now let's pick up with verses 11 through 13. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said, he is good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Now, Jesus has arrived at the feast. This is the beginning of it. And there's a lot of people here. All these men are available. But you have to realize, why are they looking for him? Why are they trying to search out Jesus? I think it's very plain, very clear. John, you go over to chapter 11, he's talking about another feast, 
and he says they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That he will not come to the feast? They know Jesus is devoted to the Lord. They know he's going to come to the feast. We're looking for him. Why do you want him? You want to kill him. Because the events that are recorded in John 11 are right after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Some people, though, thought of Jesus as good. What they thought of him was they saw what he had done in the various communities where they had come from, particularly in and around Galilee, how he had taken people who were sick and healed them, people who were possessed of demons, cast those demons out. He fed the multitude, whether it was 4,000 or 5,000. In Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist wanted to know about Jesus. And Jesus sent word back to John. He says, say to him, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. He's a good man. There are some people, as they begin to hear about Jesus, their minds is, from what we have seen, what we have heard, he's a good fellow. Like someone who is very helpful today. On the other hand, some have said, no, no, he's not good. On the contrary, he's a deceiver. They believe that he purposefully, willfully presented himself as being the Son of God when in reality he wasn't. You know what identity theft is today? Someone assumes someone else's identity, and that's not really them. And they indeed deceive people, say, oh yes, I'm this person, and they sign a receipt or some make a loan or something in someone else's name. And there are some people who believe that Jesus is a deceiver. And in fact, I'd suggest to you, the leaders of the Pharisees and the leaders of the Sadducees did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Later, when the soldiers come back to them, the, the temple officers, and they ask them about why he did not bring them. Verse 47, then the Pharisees answered and said, Are you also deceived? Have you been taken in like everybody else has? But nobody was willing to voice their opinion openly. You know, we think we live in a politically correct society, and we do. Now, no one wants you to talk about certain moral issues openly. No one wants you to call out homosexual behavior as being ungodly and sinful. They want you to just simply stay away from certain topics. When you get to the Feast of Tabernacles, everybody's got their own perspective about Jesus, but because of the Jewish leadership, no one wants to say anything openly. No one wants to say, yes, I believe that he's the Son of God. I suggest to you there's a man that we're going to be introduced to later, Nicodemus, which is going to try quietly to express concern for Jesus. But then when you get to verses 14 and 15, you're you're now have listeners. It says, Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, 
How does this man know letters, never having studied? This man knows a lot. He is able to do a lot. Now, what Jesus is going to do is to call attention to their failure to keep the law. They've not been listening to it. They've not been keeping it. They're amazed that this man has such a grasp of and a knowledge of God's law, knowing that he hadn't been trained by the rabbis. The phrase letters is something that we continue even to our day. If a person goes to a college or a university and they graduate with a bachelor's degree, they have, usually will put letters after their name, BA or BS. If they go a little bit further in their education and obtain a master's degree, they may put an MA or an MS after that. Or they may even go to get a terminal degree and they may have the doctorate with a PhD or an MD or some other designation of their having studied to that level. How does this man know the letters? How does he have this great understanding never having gone through this formal education? Why? He's because he's the son of God. But don't you look at verses 15 through the first part of verse 19. Verse 16, Jesus answered and said to them, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether I, it is from God or whether I speak of my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Nobody is keeping it. Everybody's living your own life. Wow, can you imagine? Here's a gathering of all the Jewish men and Jesus is in the temple and he's teaching them and he says nobody's keeping the law. It's almost like the religious world we live in today. People will pick up their Bible and say, oh, I'm a Bible believer. But I get drunk on Saturday night. I'm a Bible believer but I'm living with a person not being married to them. Oh, I'm a Bible believer, but I never go to church. Oh, I'm a Bible believer, but I believe in evolution too. You see, Jesus is dealing with the generation of people who are not living their faith. Now you can imagine how that's going to impact people as they're listening to it. What are people going to do when you say things that they don't want you to say? Well, the next thing that follows, they respond by accusing him of having a demon or being out of his mind. Look at the latter part of verse 19. Why do you seek to kill me? The people answered and said, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? And you might think that immediately when Jesus said, why you seek to kill me, that he's somehow delusional. Is anybody there really seeking to take his life? We're going to see that in just a moment. People say, you're out of your mind. A demon has possessed you. Jesus 
responds in verse 24 by making a very important statement. And this is one I've seen on billboards this past week. Very good statement. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Don't. Don't. Just immediately, superficially make up your mind without considering the evidence. Judge righteous judgment. If Jesus is the Son of God, there ought to be evidence to prove that. If He's not the Son of God, there ought to be proof of that as well. Look at beginning with verse 25. Well, over verse 25, 26, 30, and 31. Now, some of them from Jerusalem said, Is this not He whom they seek to kill? But look, He speaks boldly, and they say nothing to Him. Do the rulers indeed know that this is truly the Christ? Verse 30. Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And many of the people believed in him and said, When the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? Okay, now. Some people know they are trying to kill him. But they see Jesus teaching openly and there's no one coming to take him and arrest him. And the people begin to scratch their head and say, well, maybe he's got a point. There are people trying to kill him. Maybe we ought to look and see what the Scriptures say. And when the Christ comes, will he do any more signs than this man has done? Maybe he is the Christ. Now, fast forward with me to the last day of the feast. We've had him before he came. We've had him right at the beginning of the feast. We've had him in the middle of the feast. Now here's the last great day. People have been there for a week. They've had a chance to listen. They've had a chance to learn. What are they going to do? On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, If anyone thirst." Let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Don't miss the fact that Jesus stands, Jesus cries so that people can hear him. He's giving an invitation to people to come to believe in him right then. People are starting to say, well... This man must be the prophet. In their mind, they go back to Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15. Look at, with me at verse 40. Therefore many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly this is the prophet. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. This must be the prophet that Moses spoke of, that God was going to raise up, that we've got to listen to. Or is it possible that he is the Christ? That he is the Messiah, the one that was promised from the Old Testament? Look at verses 41 and 42. Others said, this is the Christ. 
But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? Jesus had lived his boyhood and early adulthood in Galilee. Raised in the city of Nazareth. That's in Galilee. His main city of operations was Capernaum, right on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. But Jesus was born in Bethlehem, fulfilling Scripture perfectly and accurately. So you've got some saying he's the prophet, some saying that he's the Christ. He is the Christ. And there's some who are still holding on to their disbelief and they want to kill him. In John 7, 43 through 45. So there was a division among the people because of him. Now some of them wanted to take him. No one laid hands on him. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought him? They're questioning these officers. Why didn't you bring Jesus in? That's a good question. If they've ordered Jesus to be arrested, you have the temple guards' views. Now here are people whose job it is to be like a policeman. They're guarding the temple and they're guarding the rulers. They're guarding uh, the chief priest, the high priest. They're making sure that there's order there. And they've ordered that Jesus be arrested. Notice their response in verses 46 through 49. The officer said, no man ever spoke like this man. Nobody ever spoke like this man. You mean these temple guards are listening to what Jesus is saying? Absolutely. They've been ordered to arrest this man, but they've not done that. You know why they didn't do that? They know that Jesus is not just an ordinary man. They didn't bring him. Which brings us to the latter part of the chapter. You get to verses 50 through 52, and now you've got an assembly of the Jewish leadership. What are we going to do with him? Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he's doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. There you have the response. Nicodemus is trying to say, be reasonable. Look at what he has said. Look at what he has done. And their response was to attack Nicodemus. See, Galilee was not exactly a a very respected place. You remember what Nathaniel said? John chapter 1, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Galilee was sort of where second-class people were from. And so this was a slur against Nicodemus, one of the rulers of the Jews, the one who had already come to Jesus, who had already been taught to be born again. 
Now let's pull all of this together. I began with what Jesus asked in John or Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? We've gone to John chapter 7, and you've seen a full spectrum from before the feast to the first of the feast to the middle of the feast to the end of the feast, and you still have people with various perspectives. And all Nicodemus was asking was exactly the same thing that Jesus asked in verse 24. Will you give him a fair hearing? Will you explore the scriptures? Will you look at the prophecies? Will you look at the works that he has performed? If you do, you've got to come away with the conclusion that he's the son of God. And you must decide if you believe him and will obey him. Because if you believe him, you've got to obey him. You've got to. I want to end with a passage of scripture that I began with in Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 38. We're going to repeat verse 36, then we're going to look at verses 37 and 38. Because there might be someone here this morning who is saying, Now, after looking at the evidence, I know that he's got to be the Son of God. Therefore, let all of the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said to them, Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That's exactly what we would like to encourage you to do this morning. That if you believe that he is the Christ, repent of your sins and be baptized. Every one of you. If you've not yet done that, when we sing this invitation song, if you'll come forward to the front up here and let us know that you want to be baptized, we'll baptize you this morning. If you tell me, you say, I don't believe I know enough, I don't believe I've understood the, the teaching correctly enough, catch me after services. We'll, we'll study with you. You see, who Jesus is is extremely important. Because it affects our future. And if you and I believe that he is the son of God, we will keep our faith and our hearts focused on eternity. If you need to respond to the gospel invitation, would you come as together we stand and sing?